0: Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Silk and Steel Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Zha. Today is July 22nd, 2019. I'm going to introduce a new podcast by me, the Chinese History Podcast, in which I will cover the Chinese history chronologically from the very beginning spend great detail and depth on each era, and eventually (laughs) cover to the present date. It will be a very long journey, and I hope it will be a very entertaining one. So without much further ado, here is the very first episode of the Chinese History Podcast by me. Hi. Welcome to the Chinese History Podcast. China is all about history. We often hear China has 5,000 years of history. Now, I'm actually going to break that down and address that claim in this podcast, separating the myth from known facts. There are already several excellent podcasts dealing with Chinese history. There's a China history podcast by Laszlo Montgomery, who is an excellent storyteller, always have a fascinating chapter of Chinese history to cover on one of his his episodes. However, I would like to present the Chinese history in a chronological order so that you, the audience, will have a better context of the historical events as they happen especially after you know what had came before now there is also the history of china podcast by chris stewart which does present history of china chronologically Uh, it's actually quite good to lay out the general outline but i did detect some glaring errors and most importantly i felt chris may have rushed through several eras, perhaps in order to get to a later dynasty that he was more interested in. So I take it upon myself to begin the retelling of China's history from the very beginning. And I will take my time to cover each era in depth, because for me, there's no hurry. I am in no rush to reach 1949 or 2019 or any arbitrary date. You will be a long journey, and I trust you will be an entertaining and educational one. At the very least, this Chinese history, history podcast will be done by a Chinese person with better pronunciation of Chinese names. So, without further ado... Let's begin. The land we know as China today, stretches from western shore of Pacific to deserts of Central Asia, to Gobi Desert in the north, to the tropical jungles in the south. Ancient humans have long settled here after dispersal from the African homeland. Finds of Homo erectus, Lantianzen, or Tian Man in 1963 dates to around 1 million years ago. Contemporary of Java Man, the more famous Pei Peiki Man, another Homo erectus fossil, which was unearthed much earlier in 1920s at Zhoukoudian near Beijing, dates from anywhere from 500,000 to 750,000 years ago. Anatomically modern human also arrived later in another more recent wave of dispersal from Africa. Tianyuan man, discovered in the Tianyuan cave near Beijing, dates between 42,000 and 39,000 years ago. And recent DNA tests in 2013 show that he is related to many present-day East Asians and Native Americans. And then we have Liu Zhangman from Guangxi in southern China that dates to at least 67,000 years ago, but does not rule out an earlier date as old as 159,000 years. This early date would challenge the out-of-Africa dating model at hundred thousand years ago and possibly indicate an even earlier wave of dispersal of modern humans out of Africa. We need to wait for further research. What we do know is that early humans lived as hunter-gatherers with primitive stone tools in what we now call the Paleolithic or Mesolithic age. or In plain English, the Old Stone Age and Middle Stone Age. Then came a revolution, a Neolithic revolution, or agricultural revolution. Neolithic, neo, new, lithic of stone, or new stone age is marked by adoption of agriculture. This first happened in Fertile Crescent, of Upper Mesopotamia as modern day Southeast Turkey, Lebanon, Palestine, Syria, and Northern Iraq, about 11,000 years ago. After that, China is one of the first place to have independently developed agriculture. About 9,000 years ago, rice was first cultivated in the Yangtze River Valley. Then around 8,000 years ago, in the Yellow River Valley in the Northern China Plains, millets were domesticated. Arrival of agriculture heralded the dawn of civilization in the land we today know as China. Now, the textbook definition of history is the past as it is described in written documents. What we have just described is some very deep prehistory here. But it is important to cover that outline because the recorded Chinese history starts with creation myth. In the beginning, there was no separation of heaven and earth. Only a mass of dark cloud and gas. Within this nebula slept a giant named Pangu. One day, Pangu woke up. It's darkness all around him. So he raised his giant axe and split the darkness down the middle. In a loud bang, the darkness parted. Lighter matters floated up to become the sky. Heavier matters fell and became the earth. Pangu then inserted himself in between the sky and earth to prevent them from coalescing. As Pangu grew, the sky became taller, the earth became further apart. Many, many years passed. Pangu finally collapsed from exhaustion. His breath became cloud and wind. His eyes become sun and moon. His muscles and bones became plains and mountains. His blood vessels became rivers. His sweat became rain. This is basically the Chinese Big Bang Theory from thousands of years ago. But it's worth to point out that it was not original classical. Kohan Chinese myth per se, because this myth actually came from southern China, the land of Yangtze Valley, home of the first rice cultivation. Today, the Pangu myth is still widely circulated among many ethnic minorities of southern China. Miao, Yao, Zhuang, Dong people all have their own version of Pangu worship and Pangu myth. But as Han Chinese pushed from the Yellow River Valley in the north, south into the Yangtze River Valley, they began to adopt indigenous local deity and myth as their own. And Pangu myth was first recorded by scholars of Wu Kingdom, based in the Yangtze River Valley, in what is now known as the Three Kingdoms period about 1800 years ago. Now remember, China had at least two cradles of civilization, the Yangtze River Basin in the north, and the, Yang, the Yellow River Basin in the north, and the Yangtze River Valley in the south. In a much older classical Chinese written records, the dawn of civilization began in the era of San Huang Di, or the English translation, the three sovereigns and five emperors. I'd like to point out, emperor here is kind of a misnomer, because the Chinese name for emperor, Huang Di, was actually created much later by the first emperor who united China around 2020 BC. And he did that by combining the name of the ancient sage rulers, the San Huang Di, uh, the three Huang and five Di, he took the name Huang and Di and combined the two and call it Huang Di to mean emperor. The original meaning of Huang and Di is more like Augustus sage ruler. But for the sake of expediency, we will go with Convention. We will go with Three Sovereigns and Five Emperors. The earlier version of Three sovereign. Oh, I have to point out, again, depending on era and text, there are different versions of Three Sovereigns and Five Emperors. I will cover both the earlier version and the most well-known. The earlier version of Three Sovereigns, Sanghuang, is a heavenly sovereign. Tianhuang, Huang, Fu Xi, his sister and his wife, the earthly sovereign, Nuwa, and lastly, inventor of agriculture and traditional Chinese medicine, the human sovereign, Shen Nong. Now, Fu Xi and Nuwa, the first of the two sovereigns are said to have human head, but body of snake covered with scale. Often, the two is depicted together with their tails intertwined in double helix. Fuxi is credited with inventing fishnet, teaching people how to fish, creating institution of marriage, and creation of bagua. Now, for people who don't know what Bagua is, for visual representation of Bagua, check out the South Korean flag. Uh, it has a Yin Yang symbol in the middle and different trigrams on the outside. Now, this is Bagua is used for divination because Fuxi is also said to be originator of I Ching, the Book of Change, the ancient Chinese divination text. And thus Fuxi is also credited for being the creator of Chinese writing. But much more famous than Fuxi is his sister and wife, Du Hua. Du hua is properly a goddess. She created humans and minted heavens. Earlier version of Chinese records only mention the Wa created humans but offer no details. In later Song Dynasty book, Reading of the Taiping Era from 977 to 983 AD, so just little more than a thousand years ago from today, we starting to get the technicolor version of the walk creation myth. She first created humans in her own image from clay, but it was very tedious work. So she used a rope to beat the muddy water and the splash mud became humans. And of course, the humans that she first painstakingly made from carved from clay by hand, those are nobility, surprise, surprise interpretation. And the mud, mud humans are the commoners to be ruled over. It is also said the God of water at the time fought with God of fire. And in a fit of anger, the defeated god of water hit his head against a pillar that supported the heaven. This caused the heaven to collapse and the floodgate to open up. Now, not bearing to see her own creation, the humans suffer from the flood. Duuwa created five colored stones. She cast them in uh, her special furnace. And with these stones, she literally patched up the sky. And of course, if, um, the floods spawn monsters and Liu Wa killed those monsters and quill the flood. And in other versions, it was her rather than her brother husband that created institution of marriage. And in so far, the oldest on earth record, a fragment on, from Chu Kingdom in the south from the warring states period. This is before the unification of China by the first emperor. And also another note is Chu Kingdom is based um, in the south. Uh, much of its territories is in the Yangtze River Valley. Based in this, the book of Chu, sky gods Fuxi and Lu gave birth to four sons. Who then created the universe? Now this is the oldest recorded creation, Chinese creation myth. So Fu Fuxi and Lu Wa um, is either some type of demigod, or full god. Um, in Lu Hua's case, definitely a full-fledged goddess. But the third and the last of the three sovereigns, a human sovereign, Shen Nong, is decidedly human compared to the demigod Fu Xi and goddess Lu Hua. So, Shen Nong literally means divine farmer. In Chinese, and surprise, surprise, he's known for being the inventor of agriculture. It is said before people rely on hunting animals for food, but then there become too many mouths to feed. So Shen Nong taught people to raise grains to be stable diet. And Shen Nong also has a translucent belly which allowed him to observe the process of food being ingested. Being of curious mind, he tried out hundreds of different herbs to find out their effect on his body. Thus, he became the father of traditional Chinese medicine. But eventually, he took on an extremely poisonous herb, Duan Changca. Latin name Josimian elegance, or English name graceful jasmine, or poison hemlock. Pick your poison. Um, the Chinese name Duan Chang literally means intestine breaking grass. And it was simply too much even for the great Shen Nong that he died from poisoning. After the Three Sovereigns, came the five emperors. Again, there are different version of five emperors from different era, different texts. You don't have to know all of them. Just the most commonly known and the most important one. And by far the most important and at the head of five emperors is the yellow Emperor. The last of the three sovereigns, a human sovereign, Shen Nong, is sometimes associated with Yan Di, or literally the Flame Emperor. Some say the Flame Emperor is actually a title, and Shen Nong just happened to be the first Flame Emperor. And Yan Di, or Flame Emperor, or Emperors, is a paramount leader of the Chinese heartland. This is a central plain area around the Yellow River Valley. And the clan of Shenlong, after the original Shenlong, the, the last of the three sovereign, passed away, occupied the position of Flame Emperor, or Yan Di. But as time goes on, the clan of Shenlong, aka Yan Di, aka Flame Emperor, starts to lose power, and different tribes start to fight among each other for dominance. A new tribal leader, Xuan Yuan emerged to lead his tribe to prominence. Because of his military prowess, all the other tribes are now starting to throw off yoke of Flame Emperor or Yan Di. And started joining Xuanyuan and his new tribal confederation. And Xuanyuan was famous for known for training special troops of fierce animals, bears and tigers. Oh my! Some say it's not literally tigers and bears, but um, different tribes with animal totems, of bears and tigers. In any case. Xuan Yuan gathered tribes loyal to him and he challenged the old sovereign Yan Di the Flame Emperor. He fought the Flame Emperor 3 times at the Battle of Banchuan, eventually emerged victorious. Now, at the same time there's another strong tribal confederation, Jiu Li or literally 9D, led by the warrior King Siyu, refused to bow to Xuan Yen. So Xuan Yen then called on the tribes loyal to him to wage war on Siyu. So by this point, um, Xuan Yuan has taken over um, the leadership, the tribal confederation leadership previously held by the Flame Emperor, and he has already combined his own tribes with the tribes of Yandi of the Flame Emperor. With the new tribal alliance, he waged war on Ziyou. And in the epic battle of Zhuolu, Xuan Yuan decisively defeats Ziyou, kills him. After that, all the tribe leaders and not on, all the tribe leaders gathered together and elected Xuanyuan to be the new spring leader to replace the Flame Emperor. And Xuanyuan became known as the Yellow Emperor. Now, Flame Emperor is associated with fire and Yellow Emperor is associated with earth because yellow is the color of earth in the Northern China Plains, whereas the topsoil is Known as lo- Lois. Um, it's a wind-blown dust, and that is very fertile. And this also um, follows the cycle of Chinese elements, wu xin, which states the earth will overcome fire, or earth will follow fire in the in the element cycles. So at this point, the tribal confederation of the Flame Emperor and Yellow Emperor merge into one, forming the core of Chinese nation. Now Today, another name for the Han Chinese is Yan Huang Sun, literally descendant of Yan Di and Huang Di, or descendant of the Flame Emperor and the Yellow Emperor. This mythology is actually shared by several people in East Asia. Koreans and ethnic minorities in Southern China claim descent from Yu, the warrior king that was defeated by the Yellow Emperor, Xuan Yuan. And Vietnamese claim descent from Yan Di, the Flame Emperor. But the term Yan Huang Zisun descendant of Yan Di and Huang Di or Flame Emperor and Yellow Emperor is, was used in the late Qing Dynasty in the late 19th century, early 20th century by Han nationalists to denote Han Chinese exclusively. But it was later expanded to include all people of China. So here we also get the thornier issue of what is Chinese. Um, generally, Yan Huang Shishun, the descendant of Yan Di and Huang Di, applied to Han Chinese and some ethnic minority in southern China who shared the same founding myth. Uh, but later it was also applied to Manchus who largely assimilated into Chinese culture. But Mongols, Tibetans, Uyghurs, and other Turkic minorities that reside within borders of People's Republic have their own creation myth, and many don't accept this term to describe themselves. So that is why, in more official language, another term, Minzu, is used as an all-inclusive term for all ethnicities in China. And. 中華民族 literally translate into like a Chinese nationality. So we're, whereas in the context of talking about overseas Chinese or people in Hong Kong, Taiwan, etc. Yan Huang Zishun, descendant of Yan Ding, Huang Ding, aka Flame Emperor and Yellow Emperor, is often used to emphasize the blood tie of the ethnic kinship. So. Also note is that Taiwan aborigines, the real native Taiwanese uh, 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 astro-nation people who now compose only a tiny small percentage of the Taiwan overall population, they also do not subscribe to Yan Huang Zishun or descendant of Yan Di and Huang Di because they have their own separate independent creation myth that was, um, you know, very different, very different from this mythology. Now, Yellow Emperor is credited with all kind of inventions, many no doubt attributed to him at a much later date. As a legend tend to grow more detail and more flesh out as time goes on. But it's important to note by Zhou Dynasty, which laid out the foundation of classical Chinese culture, this is about 3,000 years ago, all Chinese nobilities by then claimed descent from Yellow Emperor. So it's uh, interesting that the the record of Yellow Emperor in the record of grand historian by Sima Qian um, from Han Dynasty 91 BC. Uh, this, by the way, this the record by Sima Qian is what I'm basing my story on. This is the the Sima Qian sometimes is described as a Herodotus of the East, but I rather like to say the Herodotus is Sima Qian of the West. Um, and and Sima Qian's record of Grand historian is a very comprehensive um, historiography of Chinese history from the very beginning, and I will talk about a couple of different sources later. Um, but and I will I will tell a little bit about the background why you know Sima Qian's work is so important and what happened to, to work the previous work before the time of Han Dynasty. So as much him himself tried to gather different sources to compose his grand opus, the history, the record of grand historian, he find out that the there are so many stories and so many variation of Yellow Emperor based on um, different locale, and and there's not uh, not much agreement on Yellow Emperor in different surviving written sources. So what he did is he recorded what was the most commonly shared story, which is Yellow Emperor's rise to power, his defeat of the previous sovereign, Yan Di, or Flame Emperor, and his defeat of the warrior king, Si What Sima Qian, the grand historian, did spend much time describing? are deed, the deeds of two other sage kings among the five emperors. And they have been held up as the ideal Confucian ruler ever since. So they are quite important. And I will tell their story in our following episode. Thank you f- for listening for the very first episode of the Chinese History Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and tune in for next time. I'm your host, Carl Zha. Thank you for listening.